Premier Christian Newscast. Emmanuel Macron would not be a natural choice as darling of the church conservation movement. But early this autumn, the French president launched a new fund to raise hundreds of millions of euros to pay for the preservation and renovation of ancient church buildings across the French countryside. Big tax breaks are available for private citizens who chip into the fund, which will be used by local councils to pay to stop historic village churches crumbling away. The move has energised the long-suffering church preservation community on this side of the channel too, as, if anything, Britain has an even bigger issue with small rural churches without anyone left to pay for their increasingly expensive upkeep. How can we safeguard Britain's Christian heritage in an era of rapidly declining church attendance and growing secularism? Should taxpayers be expected to foot some of the cost? Or is it a waste of time to worry about maintaining medieval buildings which are in the wrong places, impossible to heat, and no longer able to sustain a congregation anyway? I thought church was the people, not the building after all. I'm Tim Wyatt, and this is the Premier Christian Newscast. This week, we're exploring the complexities of how we can look after Britain's Christian heritage, and we have two experts from the National Churches Trust and the Friends of Friendless Churches to guide us on our way. Well, thanks, Eddie, and thanks, Rachel, for joining us on the show. Um, before we kick off, could I ask each of you just to briefly introduce yourself and say a little about who you are and, and what you do? Um, Rachel, why don't you go first? Oh, thank you, Tim. Um, well, I'm Rachel Morley. I'm the director of a charity called the Friends of Friendless Churches. Um, we're a small charity. We rescue redundant places of worship across England and Wales. Um, we repair them. We, um, uh, we reopen them for community for community use and for private prayer and occasional worship. So we currently have um, 63 buildings in our care and we take on more every year. Brilliant. And Eddie, who are you? Hi, yes, nice to be here, Tim, and hello, Rachel. I'm Eddie Talesevich. I'm the Head of Policy and Public Affairs for the National Churches Trust. Um, we've been going in one form or another for about 200 years, and it's a fourth road uh, type uh, task we have here. Uh, we uh, try and support as many of the UK's church buildings that are still open for worship and uh, keep them going with funding, advice and other support. Excellent. Well, I'm really pleased to have both of you on the show. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, uh, as I mentioned in our intro, uh, the, the kind of instigation for this was an interesting story from across the channel, actually, in France. I'm sure you guys have both been following it closely, where Emmanuel Macron has announced a few months ago that he was going to launch this big fund aiming to raise up to 200 million euros, um, which would be devoted to paying for the kind of renovation and maintenance and restoration of religious buildings, probably mostly churches, in, in small villages, places that are kind of at risk, I guess, of of um, falling into ruin. Um, and this has kind of generated a lot of excitement uh, on this side of the channel, I guess, in your world as, as a kind of model potentially that we could follow. Um, I, I was reading that about up to about 5,000 churches are believed to be at risk uh, in this sense in, in rural France. Do we know any num- any idea what the numbers might be for us in, here in England or here in the UK? 
Well, the only uh, official data really uh, is through uh, Historic England, who publish an at-risk register every year. Uh, and this year in November, when it was published, the number of places of worship, almost all of them churches, that are at risk, according to Historic England, is about 948. And that's up about 23 on last year. Um, now, there may be many others that aren't on that risk that on that list that aren't that are also at risk and there are others in Scotland uh, Northern Ireland and Wales and by that at risk it means they are heritage buildings you know grade one grade two listed and um, you know they're at risk of se severe damage or falling down or uh, you know terrible things happening to them if money isn't spent on them in the next few years. Um, and I'll pick up on that. Um, so yes, that is the Historic England Heritage at Risk Register, which is all about the condition of the fabric, which absolutely plays a part in, um, you know, in, in it's just one of the kind of risks to these buildings. Um, I think it would, um, we need to think about what you want by at risk, because I would think, um, you know, at risk of closure is another thing. So I can speak for England and Wales. Um, in Wales, uh, in 2020, the Royal Commission estimated that about 700 places of worship will close in the next decade. Um, most recent conversations with the church in Wales, so Anglican churches only, is that about, um, golly, let me think, I think it's about between 300 and 400 um, of those will be Anglican churches in the next decade. So that's a huge number because there are only 1,300 Angl Anglican churches in Wales, so that's about a third um, of all of their buildings. And in England, I guess, uh, again, closure, it's more difficult to define, but um, in 2021, the church commissioners um, had published the results of a survey, they thought, uh, at various dioceses, and they thought in the next five years, we could be looking at, I think it's about between uh, 280 and 340, um, so 280 and 340 closures in the next five years in England. Um, obviously, there are a lot more churches in, in Anglican churches in England. There are about 16,000, so kind of has less of a hit, but it's still um, still a huge number of buildings. Yeah, I'll just pick up with some more numbers if you want here. <laughs> um, about 10 years ago, um, it was estimated there were about 45,000 uh, churches, chapels and meeting houses around the UK that were open for worship. Um, the figure now is about 38,500, so it's down quite a lot. Um, I will say that it isn't all just one-way traffic. Um, churches have closed, but also new ones have opened. Um, Pentecostal churches, evangelical churches, uh, you know, uh, non-traditional churches, churches held in cinemas, old cinema buildings and things like that. So there is, you know, there is growth, um, but there's also a lot of closure. Um, um, uh, Scotland, uh, uh, the Church of Scotland has effectively run out of money. Uh, so it's planning on on, on selling, uh, I forget what the number is, but, but many hundreds of buildings over the next few years. And in England, um, uh, there are fewer Anglican closures. Rachel, you're quite right. Uh, but the closures that have happened have been Methodists, uh, Baptists, um, you know, more more of the independent churches. They're the ones that have closed in quite large numbers. Um, the, the Church of England has managed to sort of <laughs> hold the fort. And each year it, it sells off maybe 20 to 30 on average. But as Rachel said, that number could well grow a lot in the future. Hmm. And I guess as we all know, the, the reality of kind of church decline 
in this country is for 60, 70 years, the numbers of people who've been arriving at churches on Sundays to worship has been steadily declining. Um, that's probably only going to make this problem get more, more and more acute in, in the coming decades as denominations are kind of continue to face what you're talking about here in Scotland, where they just simply don't have enough ministers, enough money to sustain the kind of network that they inherited from the past. Uh, I, I, I can come back to, to on that if you want, or Rachel, do you want to say something? Do you want to? Oh God, yeah. I mean, uh, I would say uh, I would I would just agree with you, really. I suppose um, I think uh, yes, um, and it's interesting. Kind of the reasons for closure. I think um, uh, I mean I really think um, the the kind of the the start of the decline, and that sounds awful. I don't like saying it, but I really think it started in the nineteenth century. I mean, I think for rural churches in 1801, uh, in 1801, um, 25% of the population lived in urban areas. By 1901, that was up to 75%. There's a huge kind of movement of population into urban areas and rural churches just went into decline. Uh, Mid-19th century, um, removing um, uh, the abolition of tithes, so it was voluntary contributions that went down. Um, God, the building of lots of churches in the kind of Gothic revival style. There was, you know, that big Christian revival didn't really happen. So we got lots more buildings that, you know, were never really used and might have only been used for about 100 years. And then they were thinking about closure. And then coming into the 20th century, I think, yes, 60, 70 years. I mean, all sorts of things. One that I think is maybe we don't talk about so much is... um you know, uh, in people getting televisions in their home and Sunday services being te- televised. We think that this is a this is a, a COVID thing and definitely post-COVID that has been a factor, but definitely, you know, um, people going to church, televised services um, and buildings getting into more, uh, needing more costly repairs and all of those sorts of things. Um, and then it's right up to the present, I think, um, yeah, uh, kind of off the back of COVID, um, you know, if if you if you've got a, a building that needs a lot of repair um, and you've been worshiping fine kind of online or whatever for for the last year or so, then do you need to return to um, a building that needs a huge amount of repair um, and kind of you know saps distracts you really from what you're there to do? I think that's an I think that's kind of an important part. Um, and last thing I will say is in terms of ministers, I gave a talk in August to um, the Shropshire Historic Churches Trust. And a lady in the audience said, um, are the churches friendless or are they are they vicarless? And I thought that was a really good point because actually, yeah, I think if there, you know, if we had more vicars and, and, and ministers, then maybe the churches, our churches wouldn't be um, and the right minister in the right place. And maybe that wouldn't be, we wouldn't be facing such a decline. I think those points are really Really interesting, uh, Rachel. Just uh, coming on to that. Um, uh, uh, the, as I said, I'm from the National Churches Trust, but originally we were called the Incorporated Church Building Society, and um, that was responsible for extending a lot of churches and putting in three pews. Um, there was a real fear at the beginning of the 19th century that uh, England would go the way of France. There'd be revolution. You know, um, the industrial cities were full of you know workers, and they didn't have any churches to go to. And even worse than that, some of them were going 
going to Roman Catholic churches or Methodist churches. <laughs> so uh, the Church of England sort of said, we've got to make bigger churches, bigger, but, but, and then people go into these churches, the Victorian churches, they go into them now and they think, my goodness, you know, what's happened to Christianity? This, you know, but, but these buildings were never full. And Rachel's quite right. They were over-churched even in the 19th century. So they are, they are too big, uh, uh, those sort of inner city churches. And, and as she said, a lot of them are in the wrong places because populations have moved. You know, again, in the 19th century, you know, the landowner uh, uh, took, looked after, looking, you know, paying for repairs. There was sort of pride in, you know, uh, a landowner saying, my church is fancier than the one next door, the one down, 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 down the road. But those people aren't there anymore. So there's no one to keep, the, 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 to keep them going in, in a financial sense. And we're talking about money. And of course, you know, church re- repairing a, a, a listed building, you know, if you want to fix the roof, half a million minimum, you know, repairs mm-hmm. can cost three, four million pounds. And I was talking to a vicar this morning and I was saying, uh, well, look, you know, imagine a three million quid was parachuted in to fix your church. What would you do? He said, well, unfortunately, I don't think our congregation are young enough uh, and they've lost hope. They're not going to be people who can mm-hmm. run a three and a half million pound repair project. Yeah. Um, so it's not just the money. It's the fact that the congregations are small, they're elderly, and they can't deal with these buildings anymore, which is where mm-hmm. Friends of Friendless Churches and Churches Conservation Trust and other, other bodies like that do come in. Mm-hmm. Well, just to pick up on that, if I can. Sorry, Tim. Um, but just to say... Um, uh, uh, Eddie, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, it's important to, even if you had the money, it's important to remember that, you know, yes, the buildings we look after are, um, you know, they're, they're some of the, the most highly listed, most important heritage buildings in the country, but they're looked after by a worshipping community. They're looked after by people that aren't there to because they love historic buildings. They're there. Um, out of faith um, and uh, and and they look after the building out of duty and I think you know they're not experts in in building restoration and they're kind of you know that's just something that they're expected to do and I think that's a huge ask um, of congregations I really do and I you know money is one thing but there's so much other support that's needed and people like the National Churches Trust are so good at helping with that so yeah, it's really important. While we're on the topic of money, could we just kind of sketch out what the state of play is right now? How does it work if you're in a small, let's say you're in a rural village in England and you've got a, a crumbling medieval building, church building, is the financial burden of paying for that roof repair you mentioned, is that does that fall entirely on the local congregation? Is it picked up by the denomination or does the, the government or the public sector chip in at all? How does it work? Uh, unlike in France, uh, Germany and other countries in Europe uh, where the state and local government does pick up a sizable um, amount of that funding a shortfall in the UK, and I speak particularly about England, um, it's all up to the congregation. The congregation is the body that is responsible for raising the money, looking after the building. You know, the PCC uh, in the Church of England, they're, they're the, they're, that's where the buck stops and they have to raise the money themselves now you know congregation is very good at raising money and the estimates are that perhaps you know 50 percent of the money needed uh you know is is found by a congregation from its own resources you know they might have a legacy they might have reserves they might have a bit of land to sell off 
But, you know, then finally the other 50% is very hard. And then there are churches in inner city areas which don't have any money at all. So it's mm. really difficult for them. In terms of support, the one thing that uh, a listed building uh, can rely on, but only a listed church is the VAT reclaim scheme introduced by Gordon Brown, 2002. Uh, the church can get back the 20% uh, that it's spent on VAT. You can get that money back. Um, so that's 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 one thing that is uh, has been there since 2002. Two and it's guaranteed to 2025. Beyond that, there is no uh, sort of state support. Um, uh, the, the National Lottery Heritage Fund uh, does fund uh, church buildings, but the, the but the amount of money it's given in recent years has gone down. Uh, we hope that it, that will change in in the next few years, but it has gone down quite considerably. And denominations, well, yes and no. The Church of England does put some money into its buildings. Recently, it's announced sort of, uh, I think, 11 million pounds, but that covers staffing. And I think the amount of money it's going to put forward to buildings is two or three million pounds spread across all dioceses. So it's a very small amount of money. Mm. Lots of charitable trusts. Um, uh, the problem is there are so many that you know it takes a year or two to apply to them all. Um, you know, mm. I, you know the story is, you know, the vicar. You know, I've, I've now sent off my hundredth application for funding. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of time. Uh, so um, uh, we're poorly served in, in England with, with money from government or church nominations. We rely on philanthropy, um, you know, begging, stealing and borrowing. Um, but there really does need to be more money put into it because uh, I think there's, you know, I think there's a divide here between what's, what's, what Christianity wants you know, and there are new forms of church happening all the time, you know, whether you think messy church is a good idea or not, uh, whether you think, you know, a, a church being held in a, in a former cinema or a cafe is a good idea, you know, try it and see. Uh, and then on the other hand, you've got heritage. Now, you know, some sometimes it goes together. You've got a really active, thriving parish in a beautiful grade one building but quite often you've got a beautiful grade one building with three people in them on a Sunday mm. uh, so you know how can they expect it to look after that so at some time in the not distant future someone's going to have to work out well you know who's going to look after these buildings because it probably won't be the denominations yeah um just to pick up on a couple of things Eddie said um everything he said is absolutely spot on um, mentioning the, um, the the recent fund from the um, from the Church of England, and you said about oh, two or three million spread across all dioceses, and I think it's up to twelve thousand, a maximum of twelve thousand pounds per church. So that's not a huge amount, really. Um, you know, if, if you are looking at half a million for your roof, you know, it's not going to get you very far. Um, I think uh, one is the, the lottery, National Heritage Lottery Fund. Um, you know, I don't want to kind of be, be down on them because I'm really hoping that they are going to try and turn things around but they um and again these are only for listed buildings but they withdrew or they they cancelled kind of without consultation their ring fence um, funding stream for places of worship in 2017 and that was pretty dev i mean it is devastating and the the grants to churches now are down by about two-thirds so but but they are listening so i really do hope it's going things are going to change um before long um and just to say, uh, Eddie, you said, you know, maybe you want to worship in a, you know, um, a, you know, a cinema or a cafe or whatever. The best I've heard is um, a former dentist studio being used as a church in North Wales. So, you know, <laughs> anywhere. Obviously. Talk about redemption, right? From a place of fear and cruelty to hope and faith. <laughs> 
but, but you see the, yeah. the advantage of these other buildings is uh, that they can quite often be small, warm, cheap to run. Um, you know, again, I was talking to a church the other day and they said, yes, look, it's really sad. Our church has had to close. But now we're all in the village hall and it's got heating. You know, it's got a kitchen. Uh, you know, the, the, the church was freezing cold. That's why nobody went there. What can yeah, you do? Exactly. I think the other thing is, you know, definitely this dentist studio one, you know, it's on a it's on a repairing lease. You know, they don't have they don't have they're not responsible for the repair, you know, probably be there for, you know, five years, hopefully renew it. But you know, there's just they can just get on with what they're there for, which is to to, to worship and to gather mm. as a community. So I, w- I wanna you know. come back to this this really interesting tension you've both mentioned about, you know, the heritage nature of buildings plus it's a space for worship and, and when those things seem to come into conflict. But just just quickly I wanna put it to you both. Uh should Britain copy what France is doing in this kind of national fund, you know, put you on the spot. Should we, should the government set up an equivalent, you know, hundreds of millions of pound national fund that would repair, repair churches? Eddie, what's your take? Well, look, the uh, uh, the estimate um, in Parliament, uh, the, the, the answer to the question a couple of months ago was, what is the annual, uh, you know, f- uh, uh, need? And it's £150 million a year for Church of England um, buildings. That's the annual spend. I'm not talking about the backlog. The backlog is, I think, £1 billion or something like that. But each year it increases by £150 million just for Church of England. So let's say maybe we need £200 million a year for the next five years. Um, that's that's the amount of money we're talking about. So I think, yeah, a, a, a government should be involved. The lottery fund should be involved. Philanthropists should be involved. Match funding, you know, um, make it attractive for people to give money to look after this heritage. Because we are talking about the most important buildings there are in terms of heritage. Uh, you know, they're full of amazing, you know, monuments, uh, uh, stained glass, metal work, the building itself. These are just extraordinary buildings. So, you know, if we want to keep these heritage for the future yes i think we do need a lot more money and the government has a role to play i'm going to say eddie you were very thoughtful i could see you kind of you're, you're you were thinking really hard and i was just bursting out of my skin to answer and say yes absolutely we need this i mean it, for me it's very straightforward eddie's given lots of color to that i mean to be kind of you know if you want to be really blunt about it i think you know yes for particularly for listed buildings if the dcms or the department of culture media and sport if they've listed them if they've made them grade one listed buildings there is a you know there, there needs to be support if they are designated heritage assets um and i hate using the word heritage asset for something that is for something like a church which is so much more than so much more than a list description or anything like that but um you know i think um they've been set aside because they're of national importance so they need to be supported so yes Definitely. I think one thing, one way to get more support for church buildings from government and others is just to, to stress just, you know, all right, a rural church with three people, perhaps not. But the overwhelming majority of churches are used for lots of things, not just worship. And that's a point that we've been trying to hammer home the last few years, you know. There are more food banks in churches than there are branches of McDonald's. Okay, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous use church buildings. There are youth clubs. Even a lunch club is of use, and this all contributes to people's well-being, and that's got an economic value. You know, the the whole nation is better off because of church buildings. What goes on in them, and the volunteers who do all that stuff. So the more we can stress, church buildings are not just for Christians to worship in. Yes, that's the primary person. 
they are heritage, but they're heritage plus. You know, um, few other heritage buildings have all those things going on in as, as church buildings do, because a lot of other heritage buildings, you know, a stately home or you know, or or something else like that. You know, that you know, uh, uh, you know, some medieval, some you know, some nineteenth century industrial building. Most most often they're, they're just buildings, but churches bring people with them and they bring all that activity. And the more one can just ram home that message, the more people will think these buildings are important. Uh, music, you know, where else are choirs, orchestras, music? Churches are full of all that stuff. And, you know, music is a, is a, is a big industry. And, you know, whether it's, um, uh, you know, uh, classical music or, 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 or you know, pop, pop music, rock music, you know, Ed Sheeran, uh, Tasman Little, they've all started in churches. Mm. Uh, and just to pick up on what Omariri said, I would think, uh, yes, absolutely, they have so much more than, um, you know, they, they offer so much more, um, and all, for all of the uses that Eddie has said, but I think for me personally, I moved to England 13 years ago, and um, just driving around the countryside, you know, everywhere, everywhere you go, there's a church. I mean, it's most like most of the time, they're open, and you could just go in at kind of, you know, any hour of the day. And you are allowed to be there, and it's 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 bonkers. So these like spaces all over the country that you can walk into, and you can be you can be in there. You can sit there. You can you can think. You can pray. You can look at incredible museum quality art and architecture. And there may be a concert, there may be a service. You know, it's and you can just walk in. It's like it's crazy. It's all there for us. It's right on our doorsteps. So yeah, and and it's free. You don't have to pay to go in. To almost every church is free to go into. Yeah. Exactly. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. What, what would you guys say, though, to imagine, imagine that you're, you're making this case to someone who's, uh, you know, the average Brit in their 20s or 30s, they're not a churchgoer, they don't really believe or really think of themselves as a christian and they're saying well hang on why should me the taxpayer have to dip into my pocket to to, to subsidize the hobby of a dwindling niche band of of eccentrics and their and their slightly kooky beliefs because they can no longer justify <laughs> their over their extensive built estate across the country you know we wouldn't we wouldn't want to bail out any other kind of hobby group you know if the squash club suddenly overexpanded and found they didn't have enough squash players we just say sorry you have to you have to close <laughs> close your squash clubs down why, why should the taxpayer bail out churches in particular what's what's your response to that argument i would just get i'll do the numbers game i think you know uh, what we found uh, a couple of years ago was that the uh that the social and economic benefit the the, the, the money is 55 billion pounds a year that churches bring to the UK because of the social and economic good they do. They put money back into the local economy. Uh, you know, they pay their electricity bills. Uh, sometimes they've got staff. Um, you know, uh, people use the the, the, the the pub next door or, you know, the shop next door when they go and visit a church. Uh, they are generators of money and economic and social good. So I would just play the money game. And, you know, if you get 55 billion pounds a year, then it's worth putting you know, one billion pounds back. Rachel, anything to add? That's perfect. <laughs> uh, the other thing, criticism you sometimes hear is actually from the other side of the coin, from from believers, from churchgoers. You say, 
hang on, I was always told the church is not the building, the church is the people. Why should we be so worried about bricks and stone and mortar when actually the church is about people? And so let's just shift them into a more modern, uh, comfortable building and let that ancient kind of tumble down medieval structure gradually decline because that's not important to what God's about in in the country right now. How how do you respond to that argument, Rachel? Uh, I was at the weekend and the, um, the, uh, the, the, the priest in the homily picked up on this and he said, yes, you know, we're told, we're told God is everywhere and he is everywhere, but where do you encounter him? And I thought that was very interesting because he said, you know, some people encounter him in their daily lives, but some, other, some people need, need a place and a space in which to encounter and, and, and commune with their God. Um, and, and I thought that was, I thought that was very, um, that was really interesting. So I would think, uh, yes, things are, uh, they can be a distraction. They absolutely can. And, you know, it, listed historic buildings mightn't be for everybody to worship in, but they, um, but they do offer a place for you to kind of get out of the, the, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the humdrum of life. And to and to just and just to, to you know just to, to to worship to you know contemplate to have private prayer, um, so I think there's all of that, um, and I mean for me personally, um, what I love about churches is uh, they are I say this so often, so it might sound like a broken record, but they are the spiritual investment of generations. They are a community's greatest expression of itself over centuries. They are saturated with human experience and I think they put our small well for me at least they put my kind of pretty small mediocre life into context and it um and it just feels for me to stand in that continuum there is a there's a sense of belonging even though I'm a you know you know particularly like with Anglican churches which I do feel this most uh, brought up a Roman Catholic Ireland I feel you know perfect in that because of that experience shared human experience so that's it for me really. That's really, I mean, you, you put that beautifully, Rachel. Um, at the National Churches Trust, we are a sort of membership organisation, and increasing numbers of non-believers, atheists, join us because they think these buildings are beautiful, they've got that sense of history, etc. You don't need to be religious to, to appreciate that transcendence in a church building. Um, and beauty, that's an interesting, you use that, I think you use that word, um, uh, Lucy Winkett, Reverend Lucy Winkett, who's rector of St. James's Piccadilly, they're having a, a very big a reordering and, and you know, redecoration of that church and nothing's been done to it over 50 and 60 years and she said i want the church to be beautiful for everybody because everybody deserves beauty in their lives including the homeless people who come into our church and sleep on the pews wow that's great and i guess it's the also thing is that this the churches in their stones in their graveyards in their stained glass windows they tell the story of britain don't they because whether you know today it's an increasingly secularized country but for thousands of years this was a country kind of built and shaped by christian faith and you see that in the built environment and i guess what do you think would be lost about our kind of national story if these thousands of old rural churches were allowed to kind of wither and crumble away Oh golly, I can't. I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything worse, really. I really can't. I think, um, I mean, for, for for loads of reasons, it's it's personal memory, local memory, national memory. They do tell a story. What I love so much about churches and rural churches in particular is they tell the story of, um, 
people on the periphery, the people on the sidelines, you know, you go to Westminster Abbey and these places for kind of, you know, the heavy hitters. But when you, we have a church in in Buckinghamshire um, and it remembers a man who died aged 30. He volunteered to go out and search for the Franklin expedition. So he, and he he, he died, he never made it. Um, And I just think he, you know, and he's got a fantastic monument that his mother put up there, you know, absolutely poured out her grief and beautiful verse and everything. Um, but nobody, unless we had that, nobody would remember him. So I think it adds so much colour and texture to our national story, um, it, particularly these, these small rural churches. Um, yeah, um, I actually have forgotten what your second <laughs> point was, so I can't That's start well. talking too much. <laughs> I think I think what I, I, um, one way of looking at it, I think, um, and, and um, I, I, another vicar told me, you must think all I do is spend my time talking, talking to vicars. But but anyway, uh, what, the club. Uh, what, what that what that vicar said was, my church is there one third for worship, okay, one third for community use. And one third commercial use. Now, you know, the church is lucky because it can hire out rooms and all the rest of it, but they can make some money out of it, um, you know, by, by inviting other people to use the building. Um, they, you know, they have, uh, you know, food banks and all that stuff. So that's the community side and the rest of it's worship. I think that's quite a good model, actually. One third, one third, one third. Hmm. Yeah, it is definitely. I mean, I've heard stories yeah. of, of local villages where they've kind of reopened a branch of the post office inside the church because it's mm-hmm. it, it was no longer economic to have its own building or the village store. And, and actually, in some ways, this is a going back to what churches used to be. You know, I've historically, historians say in the medieval time, the church was this kind of communal space that had markets in the in the middle of the nave. And they, before the pews were in, this was a more of a kind of open, flexible, shared communal space where there was economics going on. There was business. There was friendship you might come and meet people for a drink and then on Sundays obviously it was set aside for worship so maybe we are kind of going full circle in a way well the problem happened when we you know in a sense when um uh, parish the church the in the past, when you talked of parish, it was the church, but then parish councils started and local government and all the things that parish churches did were taken over by secular authorities. So a lot of that went by the wayside. The church was no longer used for anything apart from religion, whereas in the past, as you said, it was used for lots of lots of uses. So I think that that's also a historical note that's important. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, I don't think we should, you know, just be saying everything's going one way. Um, uh, you know, uh, some Roman Catholic churches Again, the you know the congregations declined, but but uh, you know religious orders from overseas or different religious orders, Catholic religious orders are now running those churches. I think that's the case uh, in New Brighton and in Preston. So there, you know, new life can be breathed into churches, and there are some churches that are used by more than one congregation. There might be an ethnic chaplaincy or something like that using the church, uh, you know, for, for, for mass or a service in the afternoon. Uh, so you know, there, are, you know, I think these churches are being used um uh some because the population is small is so small it's difficult but there is new life being brought to a lot of churches hmm. and just one final point we, we mentioned you mentioned a little bit um rachel earlier about the kind of huge shift we've seen in urbanization doesn't that does that basically mm-hmm. mean that actually to put it crudely britain's churches are in the wrong places and people have moved around so much now that you know i mean i once read that the diocese of norwich has got you know 
bike these churches that are stuck out in the middle of the fens where there are, isn't actually any settlement there at all because of changing geography yeah. and, and and things and now there's a church which literally has no no community to serve but it's we're stuck kind of lumbered with it for hun- for the for the for, for the foreseeable future how do we how do we square that circle of of britain is not looking the same as it used to look when we built these this incredible heritage of, of buildings well i know lumbered with them we are so lucky to have these churches <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um that's exactly that's exactly um you know that that, that is happening uh, not really i think we've got about, in england there are about nine thousand um rural churches i probably you know i don't know the the breakdown to be even more uh, deeply rural um but particularly for us i mean that's that's often why churches come into our it's that there's there's just nobody around anymore um but I guess the thing is, people people always come and go, go out of fashion. So, you know, as an example, we church in a deserted medieval village in Lincolnshire. It's a tiny, tiny little church. It was going to be demolished in the 1980s. We took about 20 years to repair it because we're small and don't have a lot of money. So we did it gradually. And in about 2013, this couple were walking past, and we keep all of our churches open um, every day. So this couple walked past and they looked in and they thought, this looks fanta- fantastic. Let's, you know, I'd love to find out more about it. And now this group, it's still, the church is still in a deserted medieval village, but it has about 170 volunteers. And they have, do all sorts of like lifelong things, field walking, community archaeology, you know, walking parties, all of these sorts of things. Nature conservation, it has a couple of services a year. Um, so, you know, even if it's in the middle of nowhere, it can still have it can still be important and it can still reach people. Um, so, uh, yes, I mean, obviously not every church is going to be like that. And also, uh, I guess, um, you know, if a church sat in a field for 50 years, that does it without a, without a kind of a use or a community, that wouldn't really bother me um, because it's, it's a blink of an eye in the case of some of these churches. So the one in that medieval, uh, Lincolnshire medieval village, um, you know, it, 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 the, the foundations are Saxon. So, you know, it's been there a long time. So, you know, I just shouldn't walk away after kind of 25 years of nobody being there. So, yeah, people come and go. And these people come back again. And these buildings were built to last, you know, um, uh, stone walls, uh, thick stone walls. You know, they're well built. They're not going to, you know, just disappear, um, unlike perhaps, a, you know, a modern building. They, they were built to be there for hundreds of years, and they have been there for hundreds of years, and they probably will be here for hundreds of years more. And uh, just to, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to top your story, Rachel, but a, a similar <laughs> one, um, I think, uh, not far from Ipswich, um, it was due to close in the 1980s. For whatever reason, it was kept open. And hey, presto, um, they're building new houses around it because it's overspill mm. from Ipswich. And suddenly the congregation is increasing in size. They're putting in loos and toilets and, you know, the church is open. Um, uh, it, yeah. could, it could have been closed 40 years ago. Mm. I guess it's a yeah. statement of yeah. faith in the future that, you know, God's, God's not finished writing the story of faith in the British islands just yet. And, and these, 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 these buildings were often built as a kind of act of faith by previous generations of Christians, weren't they? Yeah. That, that, you know, because, you know, cathedral that took 150 years to build, you know, it was, had to be started by people who knew they'd be dead before it was finished. And maybe we're just the latest mm-hmm. in that long line of chain of kind of custodians and stewards. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think that exactly. And it's funny, what you've just said is exactly what um, a vicar in North Wales said this year. We went to see um, his church because before Christmas, he thought it was going to have to close. Um, and um, in the summer, we went and, and when we met him, he was all smiles. And he said, um, he said, you know, since I last spoke to you, we've got, you know, three new families coming every Sunday. You know, that's good. And they've got planning permission for like six 
corner and he just said you know he said um that tells me god isn't done with this place yet um, and you know and, and he's hopeful for the future so you know yeah it can turn around, it can really turn around kind of that quickly over the space of about six or seven months so yeah i often like to close these podcasts by asking guests how they feel about the future and if they would describe themselves as optimistic or hopeful i mean it feels like working in the kind of church heritage world it's quite disappointing there's a lot of setbacks there's a lot of lonely unanswered grant applications how how do you guys feel about the future of this work this sector eddie why don't you go first do you feel optimistic i think so um you know uh every crisis is, is an opportunity so i think we just got to ram home that message that these buildings are important they're used and they're still going to be here um in hundreds of years time so let's let's look after them now um, I would say if you had asked me this about 12, 18 months ago, I would have said I would have said I was pretty pessimistic. Um, but actually, that is changing. Um, and I feel for various reasons why it's changing. Um, I think, um, you know, we're working closely with the National Churches Trust, the Churches Conservation Trust, um, the Historic England. And I feel like as all of us are, you know, we are willing things to get better. Um, and I think there is there's definitely a, there feels like there's a shift um happening and i think you know together we can we can do it definitely brilliant all right well let's draw our conversation to a close there thanks so much eddie and rachel it's been a great conversation surprisingly encouraging i thought it'd be a bit of a downbeat episode but this has been actually really interesting (laughs) really hopeful so i'm really grateful for you both sharing your your reflections on this and thank you everyone else for listening uh we'll be back with another episode uh next week but until then bye-bye That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 